0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. We're kind of going to flip back and forth between uh, two accounts of this this story this morning. We're going to be in John's Gospel and we're going to be in Mark's Gospel, so um, follow along with me as best you can. (laughs) But uh, first off, I just want to read through the story in in John's Gospel, and that's in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. It says this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs and the wonders that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his his eyes then, and seeing that the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus then took the loaves, and then he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had had them. And the people saw the sign that he had done. They said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. All right. So the first thing we see here, well, actually, first let's start by, I just want to say this is one of my favorite miracles we see in the Bible. Jesus performed all sorts of miracles, didn't he? But this is one of my favorites because well, it deals with food. <laughs> and I like food. Food. But also, this is the only miracle that Jesus did that's recorded by all four gospel authors. And I think that that's unique. That's important. I think it tells us there's something important in there for us. Or maybe it tells us that all four of them like food just as much as I do. But I think it's the first. I think there's something truly important here for us to learn this morning. And the first thing that we see as we read through this text was a complication in the first two verses. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. We have a complication here. And up to this point, at least in the book of John, if you track with the book of John, Jesus had been busy at work performing miracles, various healings all over the place. Just prior to this, We would have seen Jesus heal a couple of guys, a man at a pool and an official's son. But Mark's account actually tells us a little more detail of the beginning of this story. And and I want to read that. It's in Mark 6, starting in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. See, Jesus and the apostles, they had been hard at work, and they were exhausted to the point Mark tells us that they had leisure not even to eat. They were working themselves sick. And so they were heading off to a desolate place to recoup, to just be by themselves with their Lord and recoup from the exhaustion of all the work that they had been doing. But being with Jesus, this complication happens often where people follow you. Many people recognize them and saw them trying to leave and trying to get away to this place of solitude. And so the crowds, they rush over to the other side of the, the sea and they meet them there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine what this would have been like? Jesus says, all right, boys, it's time to go. They hop in the boat. They have said their goodbyes to their friends and their family, and, you know, they need some rest. We'll see you guys in a few days. We need some rest. And they pull off the dock, and they get to the other side. It's about a four-mile trip all the way across, and only to find a crowd of people waiting there for them. It's probably not exactly the peaceful getaway that they were anticipating, huh? And Jesus, Jesus has this idea of rest. If you study throughout his life, you'll find that he made rest a priority in his life to get away, to have some quiet time to himself. And this idea of rest is called living with margin. The discipline of living with margin is something that we all need, right? There's no need to be burning the midnight oil at both ends. So Jesus is setting aside time from all the work that he'd been doing to go up on a hillside and commune with the Father. And if Jesus needs time away to be with the Father, how much more do we need that, church? We need that rest in our lives. We need that communion with the Father in our lives. And so what does it look like for you to give yourself rest? Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to put on hold. Something that can wait till tomorrow Maybe the phone needs to be turned off because there's nothing holy or spiritual about living your life with a schedule that is so packed from end to end in every waking moment. It's just not healthy. But see, when you live your life with margin and irregular circumstances come out like we see what happened here in verse 2, and they will. Stuff is going to come up over and over again It's not going to be a huge deficit to you because you haven't been going full speed ahead for weeks on end. Proverbs 10.25 says that when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have lasting foundation. Unexpected life circumstances are going to happen to us. We're going to get sick. We talked about that just a couple minutes ago, right? Family members are going to pass away. Work emergencies are going to come up. We're going to get injured. The list goes on and on, right? Things are going to happen. How do we handle these types of situations? If you're living with no room for margin in your life, any one of these scenarios could totally set you off course. But if you are living your life with margin, you'll be more prepared to take on the unexpected life events that will inevitably come your way. So we see there's a complication, verse 1 and 2. But there's also a second perspective. That complication is only the perspective of one group of people in the story. There's another group, right? There's the crowd. And there's a perspective that the crowd has. There's a serious, eager desire that these people have to simply hear from the Lord. They dropped everything to follow him to the other side of the sea, not thinking about what they will eat or where they will sleep. And that's a conviction to me because oftentimes breakfast is a higher priority in my life than getting in the Word in the morning. The slightest distraction or interruption can so easily take away our focus from God. John Calvin said this, so far is every one of us from being ready to follow him to a desert mountain that scarcely... One in ten can endure to receive him when he presents himself at home in the midst of comforts. See, the people in the crowd, they dropped everything in a moment. And they followed Jesus with abandonment, not even thinking twice. And this really puts things into perspective for us today, concerning our day-to-day lives and our routines. How much more attention could we give to Jesus throughout the day? And so Jesus and the disciples, they find themselves amidst a complication. They've set off for a nice, relaxing vacation with Jesus. And when they arrive at their destination, a not-so-relaxing multitude of people is awaiting them. Let's pick up and see how they respond. And we're going to pick up again in Mark's account. This is verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So Jesus sees the crowd and he had compassion on them. And this word compassion in the Greek is splagnisomai. I don't often do word studies, but I just liked that one. So I thought I'd throw it in there. (laughs) Try saying that 10 times fast but it means a violent wrenching of one's guts. Jesus was ready for relaxation, and he arrived to find a multitude awaiting him. And here's his response. Jesus' reaction to the unexpected change of direction to his time of relaxation is the same as mine the first time when my oldest daughter Adeline was a baby, the first time she ever got seriously hurt, I guess you could say, I'm sitting on one side of the room, and she's on a couch propped up, and she can't be, I mean, she's six months old maybe, and she starts to tumble forward, and I know she's going down, and I can't get there quick enough, and she falls and hits the ground. And at this time, I didn't know babies were resilient, but she, she's all right today. But that, that wrenching feeling in, in my stomach of, I can't get there, that's this splagnichomai. That's the same thing that Jesus feels when he has compassion on the crowd that wants to hear from him. Jesus was sick at the idea of his sheep being shepherdless. So knowing that they had a need, he begins to teach them. And Mark goes on to say in verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. The disciples' response isn't quite the same as Jesus' now, is it? You see, at this point, the disciples are beginning to get restless. And I'm sure similar to how many of us might feel from time to time when our vacation might get interrupted. Come on, Jesus, it's getting late. Let's send these people away. They're probably getting hungry. Tell them to go grab a bite or something. Let's get all these people on their way. We're supposed to be relaxing. You know, I can understand this reaction. I'm a big-time planner. And anytime my plans don't go according to plan, I get all worked up, and other areas of my life tend to suffer. My role as a loving husband begins to go downhill real quickly. But Jesus responds to this interruption with compassion. Let's read on. Back over in John, let's, let's read about Philip in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus is testing Philip, seeing how he's going to respond to the need that these people have. But in case you haven't caught on by this point, the disciples really aren't too thrilled to have all these people there. And I imagine that this probably had an effect on how Philip responds to Jesus. You see, Jesus was looking for a response of faith out of Philip, but rather what he got was a response of the flesh. In verse 7, Philip answers him and says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, faced with this difficult dilemma, Philip would really rather not answer Jesus' question, I'm sure, because he only looks at the setbacks. You see, Philip surely would have known all the stories of how God can provide in miraculous ways throughout the Old Testament. Knowing how God takes care of his people, Philip's response to Jesus should have looked a little bit different. Jesus I don't know where we can get that much bread, but what I do know is that you are God and you can provide. That's what Jesus was looking for in his response. But Philip's natural human mind only saw how feeding all these people can't be possible. And see, here's the thing. Having faith in Jesus can conquer the impossible, but Philip wasn't thinking by faith. Faith says that God, in difficulty, has the opportunity to glorify Himself by working the problem out. The bigger the problem, the greater the chance for God to receive all the glory because there's no humanly possible way that the particular situation could have resulted in the outcome that it did. Remember the story of uh, Gideon in the book of Judges? God came to Gideon as he was hiding in a winepress and He said to him, "Oh, Gideon, you man of valor, And as he's hiding, he's looking around like, who are you talking to? (laughs) Me? A mighty man of valor? I don't think so. You got the wrong guy, God. But despite of Gideon's reluctant response, God calls him to put an army together of some 30,000 soldiers to go up against an army that was about 140,000 large. It was described as numerous, as swarms of locusts. And so Gideon thinks to himself, 30,000 versus 140,000, those aren't good odds, God. And God says, you're right. Your army's way too big. Tell everyone who's scared that they can leave. Excuse me? Cool, Lord, now I'm left with 10,000 soldiers. And God goes, yeah, but if you win the battle with 10,000 soldiers, you'll still think you're hot stuff. And so God had them all go down to the water and take a drink. And he gives Gideon a filter to see through. And the people who drank a certain way were dismissed. And pretty soon Gideon's standing there with 300 soldiers. And God says, perfect. Because when 300 take down 140,000, I alone will get the glory. And I don't know, church, what you might be facing today or what the next difficult situation in your life is going to be. But here's what I do know. I know that God will be most glorified when you completely surrender these things over to him, allowing him to take the glory for your situations being worked out. God will be most glorified when we surrender our difficult situations to him. Let's get back to Philip. He tells Jesus that 200 denarii won't be enough to feed these people, right? Right? And a denarii was about a day's wage. So 200 days worth of wages isn't going to be enough to feed all these people. That's two-thirds of a year. Two-thirds of a year's salary. It's not enough to feed all these people. Now, Philip's response to Jesus is a concern for how much this food is going to cost. Why is it always about money? Hmm. Because Jesus didn't even ask how much it's going to cost, did he? It's a question of where, not how much. But Philip's mind goes to money right away. And we often think that way in life, don't we? We let a lack of resources deter us from what God might want to do. And if he's calling you to do something, he's going to provide the necessary means for you to do it. So stop worrying. God's not concerned about money. He was concerned about miraculously feeding a large number of people. So what's the solution? Let's pick back up in John verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Andrew, he comes along with a little boy and this little boy had gone out to hear from Jesus and brought with him five small loaves of bread and a few fish. That's a fairly light lunch for even a boy. You see, Philip couldn't get his mind outside of the problem of feeding all these people, but Andrew comes with an idea. And it may have been a far-fetched idea, but Andrew had faith in the power of Jesus. It takes a leader to bring up a possible solution to a huge problem, and that's exactly what we see here in Andrew. All Philip did was dwell on the fact that there's so many people and they don't have the money to feed them all. And as far-fetched as it may have been, a little boy's meager lunch, Andrew brings something for the table for Jesus to work with. And as we read on, we're going to see a miracle, a miracle of multiplication. Let's pick up in verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down, Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Everybody eats. Jesus takes the small offering brought forth by this little boy, and he multiplies it to feed 5,000 men. And that number doesn't even include the women and the children a more accurate number of people in attendance is probably in the twelve to 13,000 range. And a lot of people today will look at this story and they'll skepticize the miracle. Let me just tell you a couple of things that I've heard concerning this miracle. One says no one in that time would have left home without packing lunch. Everybody would have one. But they were scared that some people may have forgotten there, so they weren't going to eat in front of everybody. And the people were stingy, and they hid their food so others wouldn't take it. But when they saw the little boy bring his food to Jesus, they were blown away. And so as Jesus prayed, they all brought out their food. And when everyone opened their eyes, all of a sudden everyone had food. And it's a miracle. Another one is that Jesus had planned the whole thing out in advance. Weeks before the event took place, he and the disciples, they stockpiled food up in a nearby cave on the hillside. And when the time came, Jesus began to pray, and as he did, so he backed up toward the cave and where James and John were hiding in the back and handing food to Jesus. And he's just like frisbeeing it out to people, and everyone's like, it's a miracle. I'm serious. These are real theories that are out there. One more. I get a kick out of this one. When Jesus teach, is teaching, he's got on a giant cape, and inside the cape it's just filled with food. And, <laughs> and people are and as he starts to pray and he's dishing out food, and people are probably thinking, "Well, that's weird. I saw Jesus yesterday, and he's put on a good 800 pounds since then." <laughs> but the reality is, no, what Jesus did with the bread and the fish brought forth by this little boy was indeed a miracle. A miracle of multiplication. A testimony that God can and will meet the needs of his people. Jesus knew how he was going to feed all these people before they even realized that they were hungry and had no food. And Luke 12, 24 says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And we see God perform a similar miracle to this one for Moses and the Israelites on their journey through the wilderness in the book of Exodus. He provides food for them called manna, and this manna fell from heaven for them to eat. And although the the two miracles are similar in that they're both God providing food for his people to eat, the manna in Exodus is a miracle of creation, creating something out of nothing. And this one we see, and this is the the sort of miracle that that we prefer in our lives, isn't it? Let me just kind of kick back and let Jesus do his thing. Give me a shout when it's done for me, Lord. We don't have to bring anything to the table. There's nothing to sacrifice. There's no offering. But here what we see in this miracle, in John 6 is that Jesus performs a miracle of multiplication whereby he takes what little someone has to offer and he multiplies it in abundance. We're called to be like the little boy in this story. Offer up to the Lord what you have. Maybe it's not a lot, or maybe it is. It could be food, it could be your time, it could be your money, it could be your energy, and the list goes on whatever you've got that has been given to you by God, when you offer that back to him, incredible things start to happen. You know when you're going through the airport and you hit the security line and you got to put everything in your pockets in those bins? As it turns out, people leave things in those bins. And in 2017 alone, in the U.S., there was $867,812 in loose change left in those bins. That's a lot of money. It could have done a lot more in God's hands than it could have done in TSA security bins. If we give to God what we have, we'll see amazing things start to happen as he uses it exponentially, just like he did with the little boy's offering. And another thing I love that that Jesus uses the disciples to play a part in this miracle, even after they wanted to send the crowd of people away. They were so ready for their relaxing vacation with Jesus that they wanted him to command the people to leave. Jesus could have distributed food to all those people any number of ways that he wanted to. He didn't need the disciples to help, but he allowed them to play a part in passing out the food and serving the people. That's a humbling reminder, isn't it? Jesus most certainly does not need us to accomplish his work, but he delights in letting us play a part. He delights in using us. And the disciples were just the distributors of the food, not the manufacturers. And in the same way, we ought to take what God provides for us and distribute to those in need. Let's pick up in conclusion, verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the signs that, they had done, that he had done, they said, This, indeed, is the prophet who has come to the world. Church, this is the God we serve. You see, Jesus didn't provide just enough for them to get by. He provided an abundance. They had 12 man-sized baskets of leftovers. These baskets that they were collecting up the fragments in, these would have been the same baskets that we see used in the book of Acts when they lowered Paul down from the city walls. 12 man-sized baskets of leftovers. God meets our needs exponentially. But the bread wasn't the end game in Jesus' mind. The physical food was meant to lead to a spiritual conclusion. It's meant to point to the bread of life that is Jesus. The people realized right away, this is the prophet who has come into the world. They knew that by what they have seen happen in their lives that day, that Jesus was surely who he has claimed to be and that he is worthy of praise. So do we Do we believe that today, church? When we experience miracles in our lives, does it turn our attention and our focus to Jesus? Praising him and glorifying him for all that he has done. Our God is faithful to provide for us and powerful enough to do so however he wants in ways that leave only one explanation, that this has to be the work of God so that he alone may be most glorified and praised in the working out of complications in our lives. Would you pray with me?